Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Good morning, brethren. In uh, today's passage from Scripture, we find the disciples facing a very difficult moment in following Jesus. And I wonder how many of us would be just like Peter, as we will see momentarily. Peter was definitely honest in his heart. He was sincere, yes, but he was also ignorant of God's ways and God's plan. At times he was narrow-minded, seeing only what he thought it should be, the way things should be, or what he wanted to see. He was prejudiced and quick to rebuke even the Lord. And like many of us, he wanted to avoid the difficulty that was going to be before them and find the easy way around it. And I, I just can't help but think how many of us would just respond in the same way that Peter did. But let me illustrate it. Let's say that we hear a friend or a relative, someone close to us, someone that we are particularly fond of, someone we love, and we hear them talking about death. What, what do you suppose that we may end up saying? I know that many people, perhaps most people, would, would probably react and say, well, don't, don't, don't talk like that. No way. We'll find a way to beat it. We'll, we'll change something. We'll change things. We'll turn it all around and, and it's going to be okay. So why should we be surprised if Peter did the same thing? You see, we tend to look for an easy life. We want blessings. Oh, we appreciate the promise of glory and success, right? But we don't like to accept the challenges, to accept the trials that come in life as well. And sometimes they very trials that bring about those blessings. But let's see what we're talking about a little more uh, directly. Let's read the passage for today. We find it in Mark 8 and verses 31 to 38. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in glory, in the glory of his Father, with the holy angels. Yes, as we just read, Peter made a mistake. In fact, it was a pretty serious mistake. He blew it. But let's not be too quick to judge him. If anything, through this and through his mistakes, we learn to appreciate God's patience with us. His grace, his willingness to accept our humanity and to work with that humanity. But let's understand it better um, and review here in this passage the, the key statements. Verse 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. The first thing we encounter here that we need to put some attention on is the expression, the Son of Man. It comes from Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, and it is in reference to Messiah. So it refers to Jesus as Messiah. God the Son made man to unite us, to join us with God. I mean, Jesus is fully God as well as fully human. That's the miracle of the Incarnation. <clears throat> and it is only in Him that we find humanity and God made one. Now this is a statement that is closely related to Peter's confession of Jesus as Messiah that we just find it in the, just in the previous verses. Peter had just stated, when Jesus says, who do you think I am? And Peter confessed and just stated from God, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. Now Jesus here, as he stated that the Son of Man need to suffer many things, be rejected, and be killed, and after three days rise again, Jesus was correcting a misconception, a common misconception about Messiah among the Jews. And far from being accepted as a king, he stated that he would be rejected and he would be killed. And every time that Jesus talked about his death, however, he reassured the disciples that after three days, he would rise again. So here he was preparing his disciples for perhaps what could be regarded as the most difficult moments ahead in, in their following of Jesus. They're going to see their rabbi, their Lord, their Messiah suffer, being tortured, killed, dead, and then rise again. Now, Jesus spoke very clearly. Verse 32, let's read it. And he was stating the matter plainly 
And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So here we find that Jesus spoke very, very clearly about these things. He was not talking in parables anymore or allusions, but he was talking in plain, clear, understandable terms. And we see that starting after the disciples and Peter uh, being representative of that, confessed and acknowledged that he was indeed the Messiah. Now, Peter, Peter loved Jesus and could not understand what was going on. He could not understand how following Messiah could end in such persecution and suffering for Messiah first and, and implied in that for his followers. Now, what if you were in his place? Wouldn't you say something? Like we said before, a dear friend starts talking about impending death and a, and a horrible death at that. Would you, perhaps, would we, like Peter, not rebuke him? Perhaps telling him not to talk like that, or which is a very common thing that people do? Well, Peter apparently did. He blew it. And think about it for a moment, pause a moment and think it through here. He blew it so much that he, just as he had acknowledged that he was Messiah, that Jesus was Messiah, he started rebuking Messiah. Now, if we were talking about just a human leader, we would expect some retribution here. So now what? What happens? Verse 33. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. So Jesus now rebukes Peter. And before I go any further, I want to clarify one thing. Jesus is calling Peter an enemy or the adversary, though Satan is the adversary. That's the meaning of that term. That's the meaning of that word. And how was Peter being an adversary? It says it in this statement here, because it's, you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Thus, being adversarial toward God's plan. So Jesus rebukes Peter, and he doesn't see in the disciples. That, that probably could indicate that Peter was speaking for the others, or at least that the other disciples were listening in. Now we find Peter's problem. He was looking at man's interest, <clears throat> not God's interest. He did not know, he did not understand the plan of God. He was speaking in human terms, looking for what is of interest to people. Once again, Peter had just confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, but now he spoke out of turn. Yes, perhaps he was motivated by his care, his love, his fondness for Jesus. But he was doing that to prevent the cross. Now think about it for a moment. Preventing the cross means being adversarial to God's plan. Satan had also attempted to convince Jesus to avoid the cross. Remember in Matthew 4, in the temptations. 
Now the motives, of course, are very different. John, I mean, Peter did it because he loved Jesus. Satan did it because he hated Jesus. Still, Peter did not understand the plan of redemption. And he had the wrong concept of Messiah, the very concept that Jesus was trying to address and correct. So then, what did Jesus do? Well, first of all, let's see what he did not do. He did not punish Simon Peter. He did not disqualify him. Instead, he took the opportunity to teach him and to teach the disciples. God was patient with them and accepted Peter's faulty humanity. That's an important lesson for, for you and me because we're human too, right? We make mistakes. Sometimes we say the right thing. Sometimes we blow it. We, we make mistakes. We do the wrong things. But we find in here that God is patient with us as he was with Peter. Look, Peter was a man that had problems, as we see the, right here in this particular account. And yet God called him for a very important, a key position in the body of Christ. God is calling us to be part of that body as well. And we're not perfect either. But we can find comfort in what the Lord was able to accomplish in a life of a rugged, impetuous um, fisherman, a man with no special education, that turned out to be a pillar, a key pillar for the church. So God is patient with us as well. And of course, when it's necessary, he corrects us. And when it's needed, he encourages us as necessary. But he corrects us because he loves us for our benefit. He corrects us to see growth, to produce growth in us. Let's read verse 34. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Look at that statement. Take your cross and follow me. That is clearly talking about a denial of ourselves. It's clearly talking about what the Apostle Paul defines later in, in very clear terms by talking about being dead to ourselves in order to be alive in Christ. We can't be alive and live for ourselves and live for Christ at the same time. They're just like going north and south at the same time. It's not possible. But we're called to die to ourselves, to, to a denial of ourselves in order to be alive in Christ. Look at the expression here, taking one's own cross. Everyone, everyone there would understand, and even the audience of Mark would understand very well what Jesus was talking about. And it was a dreadful and graphic image. But it was an image that was pregnant with meaning, full of meaning. And the meaning of that was, first of all, submission. 
It was the meaning of being willing to suffer and even die for God and for the gospel. But perhaps the most important meaning was to surrender to God's plan instead of our own. And why do I say that? It's because of the context of this statement. Remember, Peter had just confronted Jesus talking about maybe ways to avoid the cross. But Jesus had rebuked Peter and said, No, Peter, it has to be. Messiah is not coming as a conqueror. Messiah is not coming as a ruler. Messiah is coming in all humility to suffer and to die for us. That is God's plan. And that God's plan, that plan of God, called for the cross. So for us to be willing to take our own cross also means for us to be able to accept God's perfect plan for us. You see, we want to, we want to follow Jesus thinking, thinking it's all, all going to be just rosy and, and, and fine and beautiful and easy and comfortable. But when Jesus says, follow me, he meant follow my example, walk in my footsteps. And Jesus was about to sacrifice himself, to give of himself in the ultimate sense for our benefit. Now, of course, Jesus is not calling us to attempt to sacrifice ourselves for other people's sins. We're not Messiah. He is Messiah, and he has already done that. But Jesus is calling us to surrender to God's will and to God's plan, not only when it's easy and pleasant, but also when it is hard, when it is difficult. Let's see what else he, he had to say in verse 35. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. And there you go, that, that paradox that is typical of Christianity. We are to lose our life if we want to save it. it. It almost kind of doesn't make any sense, especially if we listen to it with the world's ears. Now, it could mean literally to be willing to even lose our life in faithfulness to the Lord and the gospel. And then his promise is that even in that case, we would still save our life. We would still find life in him. But it could also be spiritually. In a concept that Paul shares with us, as I uh, alluded to before in Galatians 2.20, where God inspired Paul to say, I am crucified with Christ and the life I now live is no longer I who lives but Christ who lives in me. It's a spiritual death. It's a spiritual renunciation of ourselves is a spiritual way of saying I am dead to myself I'm no longer active for myself I no longer live for myself but I'm alive in Christ the life I now live it is no longer I who lives it but Christ who lives in me look let's be honest deep inside we desire to live for ourselves that's our human nature. That's a sinful nature in us. 
But living for ourselves only means that we're going to be miserable. Our life is going to be made miserable. If we live for ourselves, we're constantly worried about what's going to happen to us. What people, how people are going to perceive us. What are they thinking of us? Whether we live up to the standard that, that we set for ourselves because we want to be that may be the best, or we want to be accepted, or we want to make sure that people think good things of us. And so there are standards uh, that we set for ourselves, that we, we try to live up to on our own, and it just makes life miserable. That's not the true abundant living that Jesus promised. That abundant living is found in the expression of God's love in and through us. A love that produces that abundant living not only in ourselves but in others around us too. It's a blessing. It's a blessing toward others and in return it's a blessing for us. True joy of life is found in serving and helping others. Jesus made it very clear in his teaching, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Yes, it is a paradox in this world, but it's one of those paradoxes that Jesus taught us that actually works. Try it out. True fulfillment in life is found in giving to others, not trying to take for ourselves, because we will always lack. I remember one time, hearing the words of one of the richest men in the world who said that he was miserable and that he would be willing to give all of his possessions for one relationship that could, would really work. Now, taking for ourselves doesn't provide, it doesn't produce fulfillment, but misery. True fulfillment is found in giving to others. It is a joy that we experience when, when we are used by God, when we are given by God the opportunity to participate in His sharing of His blessing and be a blessing for someone else. True life comes from Christ living in and through us. And it's so true. And I hope that we all experience that. Let's continue to read verses 36 and 37. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, to, to even to have the whole world, even if we could conquer and possess the entire world, it would mean absolutely nothing compared to the eternal glory that God has in store, in store for you. Here we're talking about priorities. We either put, place our heart on ourselves to enjoy a little bit of a glitter now, or we prioritize God, we put our hearts on God, looking forward to immeasurable blessings forever for all eternity's future. But then Jesus reminded us of something 
very important. That I think is a key statement here. Verse 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now being ashamed of Christ it is a statement that can be understood in, in, many, in very various ways. We can be, quote-unquote, ashamed of Christ in various ways. Um, for example, we can be ashamed of his humility in a world especially that would expect a great person, a great leader to be a conqueror, someone who can assert himself against all odds and be successful in a way the world would expect. We could be ashamed of his death, which is perceived as weakness and loss. Remember, even at the cross, people were mocking Jesus and saying, if you're really the Son of God, then perform a miracle. Come down from the cross, save yourself. And that's what the world would expect. But that's not the way that God operates. He was on that cross for you, for us, not for himself. We could be ashamed of being his followers. And it's not new, nor will be something that is not going to happen again, that we are teased, mocked, persecuted for being Christians. And we could perhaps choose, instead of being marked as those crazy guys who are Christians, we could be tempted to choose to be looking for the admiration, the respect of critical people, others that would put us down if they found out that we are Christians instead. We could be ashamed of his ways, of his love, that sometimes it's regarded as weakness or just syrupy stuff because we people don't understand what that really means. But the point here is also there is no such thing as a closet Christian. There is no such thing as a secret disciple. God calls his followers to be his followers openly, to be his disciples openly. And it's always been that way. Remember Adam in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve had sinned and Adam was and, and they were hiding themselves behind a bush as if God couldn't couldn't see them, as if God did not know where they were. But what did God do? Remember God says, Adam, where are you? That didn't imply that God did not know the answer, but God wanted Adam to reveal himself. Adam had to come out and acknowledge his sin and, and, and face God and understand the reason why he felt like hiding. What about Israel? How many times did God tell Israel, who do you choose? Will you choose God or will you choose your own ways? Even right there on Mount Sinai, as the, as the people trembled at the very presence of God, 
just shortly after they sinned. And the calling was made. Who will stand on the side of God? They had to choose God openly. And what about Elijah? As he was called by God and sent by God to confront Israel again. And, and call Israel by saying, look, if Baal is your, true, is your God, then follow Baal. If God is your God, however, the God of Israel, the creator of all things, if he is your God, then follow him. But it had to be a choice. And it had to be manifest openly. And today is the same thing. Today is the same. We are called to be Christians. And we are called to be openly Christians. Our destiny is inextricably intertwined with the reality of Jesus Christ. Because it's only in Jesus Christ that we can share a communion with God, a oneness with God. It is only in Him that we can receive the abundant living and the joy that He has promised and that we so deeply desire. It's only in Him that we can find eternal fellowship and glory and joy and peace. And we're not talking about little stuff here. We're not talking about something that is here now and gone tomorrow. We're talking about eternal fellowship, eternal glory that he promised to us, eternal peace, eternal joy in fulfillment of a deeply, profoundly abundant living in him, with him, for him and through him. But the key is not to be ashamed of him. The key is to answer verse 34 when Jesus said, Be willing to take your cross and follow me openly, honestly, and sincerely. And it is my prayer, brethren, that we will all stand up and follow Jesus Christ and be willing to deny ourselves, to die to ourselves, to be dead to ourselves, to be very much alive in Him as we are filled with His love and willing to share it, to manifest it, to express it toward anyone around us. God bless you. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but has revealed it to us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction.
Keep, O Lord, your household, the church, in your steadfast faith and love, that through your grace we may proclaim your truth with boldness and minister your justice with compassion for the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.